Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions, smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Hey, folks. So uh, on this solo cast, I want to talk about um, 2021 uh, to date. Really, usually I'll try to do something mid-year. Uh, we're a little uh, coming on actually uh, almost uh, three quarters of the way through the year here by the time this thing's going to air. Um, but, um, you know, it's interesting to look at the trends, the M&A trends um, that are happening uh, this year. I've done at least end of year reports in prior years. And listen, you know, it's it's really, really interesting. I mean, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, um, the uh, last year, even during a pandemic in 2020, you know, deals continue to be strong. Obviously, you know, I've talked a lot about this K economy where, you know, it's, you know, it's very different depending upon industries, but there were enough industries, you know, in terms of, you know, financial services and tech and logistics and various others where deals were strong uh, last year. Well, you know, this year as well. I mean, if you look at any of the reports, PwC or Bain or, you know, JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley or the publications, Fortune, I mean, you, you can just, just search 2021, you know, uh, deals and you're going to find all of these reports that are generally very positive. I mean, obviously, there's some sectors that are still recovering a bit, but um, the combination of uh, strong stock market, right? That continues to create confidence in, in, in people for the economy. We can have a discussion on whether it should or shouldn't or whether think people think that's less, but, uh, but the impact has been um, that uh, that has made, uh, you know, people be confident in business growth and deals. Uh, access to capital. I mean, there's unbelievable amount of capital that's still available. I talked about this, uh, I think, in some detail at the year-end uh, 2020 uh, report, while well, the capital, you know, uh, availability has not dried up in any way whatsoever, uh, even though there's been a lot of capital that's gone into in, into deals and been invested already, um, you know, there's still almost unlimited capital. I mean, I tell people in a lot of my segments that, uh, you know, sectors that we work in that there's no good deal that can't be funded these days. And that's pretty much true, you know. Um, and, and, and I'm not just saying finding a funding source, I mean, having multiple options, right? Equity funders, debt funders, um, you know, minority investors, uh, majority investors, partners, that kind of stuff. So um, that continues to be the case. Interest rates continue to be low, even though, you know, there's um, some push a little bit on inflation. Um, interest rates seem low. Um, we can have a debate on whether um, we're in the start of an inflationary period or whether some people think that there's a, a blip just because coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, people had reduced prices. Now they now they're going up, and or they're looking to make up some money, uh, you know, and or wage courses, labor costs has gone up um, because uh, it's hard to find people. 
Um, so, you know, there is a little bit of inflationary pressure, whether that's going to, you know, impact things in the future is anybody's call. We all can have an opinion on it, but uh, I found the opinions, particularly in the future, are tough. But the point is today that has not put a damper in any way uh, really on deals. Um, so it's a strong time. It's a strong time for m and And then when we added, you know, I did a couple of, of, of uh, solicasts uh, recently on the potential change in capital gains treatment. Well, we've definitely seen a number of folks. We have a number of clients who are looking to get deals done this year, just in case cap gains go up um, federally. Um, and even, you know, in, in some states. So, so for example, um, you know, states have talked about, various states have talked about potentially raising uh, taxes to, uh, gain some revenue, but specifically, for example, um, in uh, in uh, Washington State, Washington State never had a capital gains uh, tax at all, and they'll be adding one next year. So, for folks in Washington State, whether the federal government uh, or not, you know, uh, uh, change the capital gains or not, they're going to have an, an increase. So, I've actually got uh, you know a, a, a couple clients we're working on. Uh, definitely looking to close deals uh, in Washington State before the end of the year, but even in other places of the uncertainty. So we talked about that. So there's a lot of drivers for deals to get done, um, you know, uh, continuing this year. And, you know, frankly, at this point, there's <laughs> there's nothing in sight that would make it seem like that's going to slow down. Now, you, you know, you would say if, if people are pushing to get deals done this year for capital gains purposes, maybe, you know, there'll be a slowdown next year. It's possible. But I think so far, the fundamental factors, because I don't think tax policy is the, is the biggest driver, I think it's, it's really... Uh, just the the economy and low interest rates and availability of capital, um, and, you know, and the fact that um, that there are just some very active buyers out there in various segments uh, that is causing it. So, um, you know, listen, uh, there's always can be always can be a black swan event, uh, you know, as they call them. You never know what's going to happen, but right now the indicators are you know are, are strong, and you know it's interesting to see the the um, sort of thought process. Of, of entrepreneurs, um, you know, it's it's always a decision. If you've built a company that is now is valuable in a particular industry and valuations are high. I mean, I was just, um, I, we have a deal going on for a, for a client in a, um, you know, in a small, uh, well, actually there's, there's two um, in, in, for example, the wealth management space with the multiples that they're getting, you know, they're both selling one is, down the line and, and, uh, and another is earlier stage, but the multiples that seem to be on the table are, you know, almost double what they, uh, what they would have gotten in a, you know, in historically. Um, and, uh, you know, that's tempting, right? You know, it's tempting now, obviously, you know, in one of the, it's interesting, these, these two deals that I'm thinking about, one of them is a situation where it is a succession solution. They're looking to retire over the next couple of few years. Another one is a situation where the client believes that there's more growth opportunity hooking onto a bigger um, you know, entity that has significant growth plans that just got private equity money involved, <clears throat> excuse me, and they can be, we actually have a couple of these where, where they, they're going to be, uh, these clients are going to be the hub in a particular geographic area for these aggregators uh, with private equity money um, you know, to, uh, uh, to grow. So they're going to tuck um, other firms into the to the hub, so there's an advantage of getting in sort of early and being that um, uh, geographic um, sort of starter, you know, uh, initial uh, foothold 
where then the aggregator that's um, that is a private equity funding is going to put more and more into your into your hub, and you're going to benefit from that along with them because you're going to have some equity in the in the um, uh, you know in the bigger company. Um, so you know we see a lot of this going on. We're busy. I, I will tell you something that I think I heard recently for the first time, maybe in my career. I mean, there's been other times that have been busy. But I, I just had a couple of clients tell me that, oh, they were prospects that were referred to me, right? So they were, you know, considering my firm and other firms uh, who told me that there were, um, in one case, it was one. In another case, it was actually, uh, I think, two or three firms that they spoke to who said they were too busy, law firms, too busy to take on additional deals, uh, which is which is amazing to me. I mean, not, not that, listen, I mean, we don't take on, you know, um, you know, in concept, I wouldn't take on anything if I was too busy. We're not going to take on the work. I mean, I respect those firms that said that they were too busy to take on the work because that's much better than taking on the work and not being able to properly service the client. Now, I've built a model where I have access to of counsel attorneys who are available to me to be to me as needed, so we can expand sort of a, a contract as needed. And despite the fact that we are very busy and doing more deals than ever, we still. I can add capacity to, to do additional uh, additional deals, um, so that's fortunate. But you know, my point more so is that it's sort of a sign of the times. I mean, you know, when you got when you got professionals who are saying they're too busy to take on a, you know additional work, you don't see that all that often. Um, you know, usually people will figure out how to staff up. Um, you know, to, you know to to handle growth because obviously that's revenue and, and profit opportunities. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's another sign, um, you know, in terms of sectors, I've talked about this before, you know, we do a lot of financial services and tech, uh, both those sectors are booming, um, you know, for obvious reasons, healthcare sectors, um, you know, there's a lot going on there. And, and I think, um, you know, last year, while healthcare was obviously, and they still are, but not quite as much, you know, having to be focused on actually dealing with the pandemic, um, you know, now uh, there is there's the start of more activity in that sector as, you know, people are able to take a little bit of a step back. And also as they're looking at the impact of things like these pandemics on their business models and, you know, looking for different opportunities to be able to, uh, you know, uh, better service or be more profitable. And, and, you know, in any kind of challenging or changing market, there's always opportunities for deals. So you see people looking at, you know, looking at that. Um and, you know, and it's interesting because this is not just true in the U.S. If you look at some of those reports that I alluded to before, um, you know, they also analyze things internationally and, and deals are up and busy internationally as well. Um, you know, it's not just just in the U.S. So uh, overall, you see uh, significant deal activity around the world. And, you know, there's some stats that the uh, on the mega deal side, right? you know, the really, really big deals uh, that we're talking about, multiple billions and billions. Um, those deals are already uh, either close or at, at the, by this point, because some of the statistics are about a half a year in. Now, you know, they might have, they probably already surpassed um, total, you know, annual numbers uh, over the last number of years. And even deals, you know, sort of a rung below that, you know, bigger deals are also running at, at a pace. And, and, and there are a few statistics on smaller deals, but, you know, based upon everything I see, I mean, certainly anecdotally for us, uh, you know, we're seeing we're seeing more and more deals uh, that are going on now. So, um, you know, it's an interesting time uh, to be a deal lawyer, to be a deal podcaster, to uh, 
uh, you know, have this have this focus. Um, you know, I think um, the challenge, and I've talked about this, the challenge in these times also, often for buyers is is deal discipline. You know, and is there a point that's going to come? You know, I said that, for example, in the wealth management segment, there are some folks that are getting multiples that are twice what they historically, you know, would have gotten. Um, you know, and and in some cases even more. Um, you know, is that something that's going to come back to haunt buyers? Right? You know, we've seen it in other cycles where. Uh, at the end of the cycle, people overpay, whether that's in in, in companies, you see it in real estate. Um, you know, so only time will tell um, on whether the need to deploy capital and the competition for good deals uh, and the pace at which some of these companies are growing, you know, is going to give them the kind of uh, uh, returns that they that they want in the future. But certainly on a on a seller side, you know, it's an amazing time. Now, you know, it's always interesting. I started to get into this a little earlier. Um, just that, that, that fundamental decision, right? Um, because obviously, listen, if you're near um, retirement, you know, if you're looking, you know, if you would have sold in the next year or two, um, sure. I mean, why wouldn't you accelerate the deal uh, now for capital gains reasons, for multiple reasons? Who, who, who knows how long those valuations are going to stay around? Um, or if you're younger and you're looking to latch on, like I talked about that one uh, place where they think they have a bigger, oh, two of them uh, that we're working on now, where they think they have a bigger opportunity latching onto a bigger, bigger shop for growth. All right, that's that's easy. But you know, what if you are very happy with running your, you know, your your business, your firm, you know, things are doing well, it's running off nice cash flow. Um, it's a lot of money you can get to sell it, but you know, you might have another 10 or 20 or 30 or 25 years, whatever it is in you. Um, and, um, you know, do you sell? And that's a very, very interesting and tough decision. Um, you know, I can tell you examples. I remember a guy, uh, a client of ours many, many years ago, probably, I don't know, uh, 25 plus years ago, um, who we were in a cycle uh, uh, where his recruiting company, he recruited a lot of IT folks, mainly for um, uh, big financial financial service companies and um, investment banks, that kind of stuff, brokers. And um, he was killing it. And he got an absurd offer on like multiples were like they are now. But he was a young guy. You know, he, I don't even think he was 40. And he was like, why should I sell? And, and I understood the decision. However, multiples dropped. Uh, Wall Street went through a, a series of time where they brought a lot of that um, tech people in-house. They go through cycles where they outsource, they hire, they outsource. They went through a hiring cycle and his business really struggled um, uh, after that. So, you know, in hindsight, he probably should have sold, but who knows, you know, um, it's easy to say, you know, things in hindsight. Um, so, you know, the entrepreneurs out there, the business owners out there who are looking, who weren't naturally thinking about selling, but maybe now are considering it or should at least look to consider it um, as to whether they should sell, despite the fact that they have a much longer runway in their career. Um, I always say this, listen, take a step back, right? First of all, make sure that you are not, that your identity isn't so tied up in your business that you're not selling for that reason, okay? And there are a lot of good reasons not to sell, but too many entrepreneurs especially have their whole identity tied up in their business and then they, they can't sort of think, you know, see things clearly. They'll say things like, what am I going to do if I sell my company? But what they really mean is who am I going to be if I'm not the CEO, if I'm not the owner, if I'm not the founder of XYZ company? 
And if it's a being conversation, then I would encourage, uh, you know, you to, um, you know, to look at some other things. I, I was just interviewed. Um, it'll, since this, I'm recording this, uh, it'll come out probably, you know, in a, in, in a month or so um, from when I'm recording it. Uh, but, but so by the time this comes out, it'll probably be three weeks later than uh, what I was about to say was released. But I was just interviewed uh, on the Better Business, Better Life um, Summit for the Better Business, Better Life Summit by Dr. Sabrina Starling. And we were talking about creating your ideal life now, right? And doing visioning processes to, to look at what you really want to create. And um, so it'd be interesting, you know, uh, you can look that up and listen to that, um, uh, you know, uh, or subscribe to that summit and, and hear that. But, um, you know, the point is too many, you know, it's amazing to me how many, how many entrepreneurs start businesses to get away from bosses, right, and run their own thing or whatever. And then they get so tied into what they created that it runs their life. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity to look at whether this your business is tied to your identity and whether that's preventing you from making an objective business decision. Now, listen, I'm not saying you have to sell. I'm not just because we do deals. I'm not pushing deals. <laughs> Fortunately, we are very, very busy and have been for a while. Um, but the point is that, you know, uh, to at least consider um, the opportunity now, because listen, you know, you get, I mean, you're going to be under, you know, uh, a restrictive covenant, not, not compete for a while if you sell your business. Um, but doesn't mean you can't start something else in a different industry. You may have to stay on as an employee or consultant for a little while. That might not be as, as palatable as an entrepreneur. Uh, but after that, you know, you can start a different business, you know, after the restrictive covenant period is up, which is often, let's say, five years. Um, you could even potentially start a business in the same industry. So it's something, you know, it's something to be considered. Maybe, you know, maybe it's an opportunity for you to travel around the world. Um, and at the same time, if you really, from a pure place, from a vision of what you, your life, you know, what you want your life to be like, and from a vision of what you think you can do with your business, if you don't sell it, uh, come to a clear conclusion um, that it's not the right time for you, then the fact that the market is heated up and there's all kinds of money and the fact that you might get these big multiples should be, uh, you know, enough of a reason to sell, right? I mean, there are monetary, you know, the, the ability to monetize a business, to create enterprise value and monetize it is one of the great things in, in, in a lot of industries about becoming a business owner of an entrepreneur, of taking that risk. But it's not the only thing, right? The other thing is if you're running a business that you love and it creates the freedom you want, I mean, in that summit, you know, I mentioned, we talked about Ideal Life Now, and I've talked about Ideal Life Now on this podcast. You know, I, I, love my business and I work to create my ideal life now. I work to have time to um, contribute and make the impact I want in the various causes that I'm involved in. I make time to travel, which is something that I love. I, you know, spend time with my family, um, live in a place that I love to live. I mean, I look to the left because I, I have a view out to the marina and Marina de right here where we're right, you know, view of the water right here. Um, you know, so I design my life in, you know, in a way where I have an ideal life now um, and, you know, if I'm running a business that, um, let's say I got, a, you know, an offer, um, I, you know, and, and I'm loving my life and make good money and, you know, and, 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 and uh, I'm energized and motivated by uh, what I do and helping my clients and whatever, you know, well, you know, if you're in that position, you don't have to sell, but I think it's worthwhile evaluating it, especially in, in a market like this. And then looking at from a very pure place, what is the life you want to create? And at least considering the possibility of what would be your life without your business? What would be the opportunities if you did sell it? 
in a market like this, right? For you, for your family, for your friends, for your lifestyle, you know, what kind of ideal life could you create without it? And then compare it to your ideal life with the business and then make a, you know, make a decision. Um, you know, one of the things on the sell side is that at least, you know, in this market, it creates options, it creates opportunities. Um, and whenever options and opportunities, I always believe that people should at least consider them, right? And then, you know, make a conscious decision and uh, respect that inner truth that they have that tells them whether they should or they shouldn't, as opposed to it being, you know, influenced by external forces, whether that is being too identified with your business or whether that is on the flip side, getting hung up on chasing that big money, right? Because, but, but really, maybe you'll be miserable, you know, after you sell. Um, I mean, listen, I've had some folks on the podcast who've talked about the reasons they haven't decided to sell and that, you know, where other folks on the, um, you know, uh, they knew who sell were, 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 um, were actually um, had second, you know, uh, second guess their decision, right? They had regrets. Um, but then interestingly, some of them have subsequently chosen to sell because they've gotten to a different place in their life or maybe there was a different opportunity. So you just want to be able to evaluate that objectively as you can either way. And the other thing, you know, uh, I do a lot is visioning, right? So when I talk about ideal life now, that's why I say create a vision of what it would be if you sold your company, if you didn't sell your company, at least have those options on the table. So listen, as long as the market is strong, folks, we have, we have options. It does create a little bit more of a challenge if you're on the buy side, right? Because uh, multiples are higher, it's harder hard to compete, especially if you're a smaller company, especially if you're not funded. Um, but then maybe, first of all, don't assume you can't compete because you can't compete on money or price, but that's not what motivates everybody, right? You might have other opportunities within your business where you can buy somebody for less money or even you know bring them in on a revenue share or an equity deal where you don't have to put up cash um, because you have other things you can bring to the table, whether it's the culture, the environment, uh, the future opportunity, the ability for them to be an owner. You know, some people might not be looking to cash out now, right now. They may be looking to combine uh, and get equity in something that could be bigger over time. So even on M&A deals, you still have an opportunity in an in a, in a, in a expensive market uh, to potentially be a buyer. And then also remember, Although this particular episode and some of our other episodes are, are about M&A, M&A, as if you've listened to any of this podcast, you understand that M&A deals is only one type of deal, and it is a tiny portion of all the other types of deals you can potentially do, strategic alliances, joint ventures, affiliate arrangements, distribution arrangements, joint, joint marketing arrangements, licensing deals, business partnerships, aqua hires, you name it, Right. So uh, because the M&A market might be overheated and maybe, maybe you're priced out of it, um, at least certain aspects of it, doesn't mean that it's not other types of deals that you can do, um, in, you know, in this, in this environment on the uh, incoming side, you know, the quote unquote buy side, although the deal, if it's not M&A, may not be a buy, it might be a license or a joint venture. Um, so in every market, there's opportunities to look at deals. Uh, one of the things, as you know, on this podcast is I'm always encouraging you just to have it on the menu as another alternative in addition to the organic growth that you are focused on, right? Sales and marketing, great, providing great products and services, getting clients and customers organically. In addition, always look at the deal landscape right now. You know, very, very, very uh, seller-friendly, you know, strong seller market. So at least take a look at it. Um, and see if that's an opportunity that you want to take. And if not, then 
even that process of making that decision, of doing that visioning of what your ideal life would be without the company or after you sell the company or with the company, I think will help you even if you decide not to sell. It may have you reevaluate certain things. It may have you look at the business differently. It may have you say, you know what? I love my business in so many ways, but this one thing is the thing that was the trigger that had me think, you know, that in addition to, you know, the opportunity and the, and the valuations, you know, the reason, the thing that's driving me away from my business. So maybe I don't want that ultimately because there's so much else I like and there's so much other opportunity that I don't want that thing to drive me away. So I'm not going to sell my business, but it's given me a focus to know I got to solve that. I got to figure out another way to deal with that. I got to hire some people. I got to put in a better system. I've got to maybe do a different type of deal that will resolve uh, for that for that frustration and that issue that had me at least think about selling my business. So the process of considering it is valuable, even if you don't do it. So listen, options, consider them. That's my biggest thing, right? Put it on the table, see where it brings you. Um, hopefully it'll help you get clarity uh, and, and benefit you either way. And with that, I'm going to say goodbye for this week. Tune in next week for uh, an episode that I'll have with uh, with a guest. And then, you know, uh, in a month from now, we basically do, as many of you know who watch the show, every fourth episode tends to be a solo cast. So I'll be back with you uh, then with a solo cast. But uh, check out our great guests we're going to have in between. Corey Kupfer, thanks, folks, for listening. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, Go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.